It'll be a holiday. Merry Christmas. He'll never forget. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> welcome to the party, pal. Hey, everyone, and welcome to You'll Probably Agree. Today, from Hollywood, Chicago, I have Pat McDonald on. And last year, we talked about our favorite Christmas movies. Uh, this year, uh, Pat's talking about uh, his favorite Christmas movies that virtually no one's ever heard of. And... <laughs> My favorite unconventional Christmas movies. If you don't know by what unconventional Christmas movies are, think about Die Hard and you'll get the idea. Uh, So having said that, Pat, we're going to start with your favorite movies. We're starting from uh, our least favorite of the favorite to our favorite. So like five to one. So uh, Pat, what's your number five? Well, on the theme of unconventional Christmas movies, this is these two films came out of the VHS era. They were in public domain, so people were selling them as Christmas movies. So I thought it would be interesting to look at these. Yeah, a couple of them. They're tied for fifth. Uh, Christmas Eve is a 1947 United Artists comedy film. Uh, it's based, uh, it stars George Raft, George Brent, and Randolph Scott. Now, they play brothers who was adopted by Aunt Matilda, played by Anne Harding, and uh, also Joan Blondell's in it, who was an early 1930s uh, star. And this, this thing, it starts at Christmas Eve, but completely leaves that <laughs> for most of the movie. So, but again, it's called Christmas Eve, but it was also called Sinner's Holiday. So, you know, in the old days of of movie marketing, they simply didn't put a film out that was Christmas oriented. Even Miracle on 34th Street didn't open at Christmas. It opened in the summer. And and if you go and see the um, uh, trailer online, it has nothing to do with Christmas. So the other one is The Great Rupert. It's also called A Christmas Witch. Again, starts on Christmas Eve, but doesn't touch Christmas for the rest of the film. Uh, This is directed by George Powell. If that name is familiar to people, he is one of the early stop stop motion animators. And yes, he has a squirrel in this movie, the Christmas squirrel that helps out a family led by Jimmy Durante, Tom Drake, and, and Terry Moore, familiar actors. And uh, yeah, so those two have nothing really to do with Christmas, but they've been marketed as Christmas films. Have uh, you seen any of them, sir? Uh, no, but I do have a question about uh, yes. I, VHS. I sh- my dad had a video store, as I talked right. about one episode, where uh, he had a VHS store. And uh, I, I don't think he had those in stock. He might have, but he wouldn't even know about it. Uh, but one question I had is it's funny that you mentioned how Miracle on 34th Street came out during the summer and right. then uh, Christmas Eve essentially is not really centered around Christmas. You know, one Christmas film that isn't centered around Christmas, but is at the very end is It's a Wonderful Life. Correct. If you think a lot about of people, it. Yeah. A lot of people uh, dispute its Christmas credibility, but I will say the culmination on yeah. Christmas Eve is the key to that film. That so, and yeah. the theme of family and being together and community right. all sort of right. thematically yeah, relates to Christmas, you know. Right. And, and 
it, it really it really crescendos there. So it's like an opera that ends at Christmas. <laughs> exactly. And I think it, be, it begins a little bit uh, with Christmas. You know, they kind of play jingle bells a little bit when you see the angels sure. and the stars. And Well, yeah, and, yeah, because they're all cr- praying on Christmas Eve at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm, yeah, and Clarence is the angel yeah. sent to uh, uh, help out um, uh, Jimmy Stewart's character. And so, I don't know why I'm... George That's all right. Bailey. So George one Bailey. of the stars yeah. in a Christmas Wish, the great Rupert, uh, the Rupert is a squirrel, by the way, uh, is Terry Moore, who was a sex symbol during the 1950s. So she did a DVD commentary for a Christmas Wish. Oh my gosh! 2003. So if you want to pick that up, how how is the commentary on it? <laughs> so uh, number four, and uh, again, this is something that. Ha- kind of sometimes is brought out during the holidays specifically for one scene but the lemon drop kid a 1951 comedy starring bob hope and marilyn maxwell which he was rumored to have an affair for a long time and uh um it, it basically is a damon runyon story the guy who who's who was adapted into guys and dolls you know the d's dems those kind of guys and uh <clears throat> He has till Christmas Eve to pay a debt. So it culminates on Christmas Eve. But it, it has a lot of Christmas in it, um, including where he starts the scam where he gets Santa Clauses all over town to pay the debt. Yeah. And, uh, and it, it was the introduction of the song Silver Bells. Mm. Mm. So uh, I, would, I would consider that a, a obscure Christmas film that people don't really consider. And it's interesting, when I was a kid, they always used to show it around Christmas. And now you really don't see it. I, I don't know why Turner hasn't picked it up, you know, because there's mm. no old movies on at 1030 anymore. But Turner Classic Movies, I would think that would be a, a shoe-in for them. But I, I, I don't necessarily see it. So Lemon Drop Kid is number four. Now, did you watch this? Number oh. three, The Magic Christmas Tree. Yes, I did. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, I saw three. All right, the first off, it's the award season, so <clears throat> we're watching yeah, yeah. a lot of movies at this time, you know, unless when they're critics are going, <laughs> but uh, after seeing like two movies that day, uh, you know, this is like the third one that I saw that day, and like it was maybe two in the morning when it was playing, and my brain just couldn't handle it. And I yeah. remember initially, <laughs> I you, you told me that it was on YouTube, and uh, you don't have to see it. I'm like, well, I need to at least see the movie at 720p. Well, immediately when it started, I could tell this was like shot on someone's old video camera. And well, there's there's a lot of versions on on, on YouTube. I, I don't know which one you caught, but oh uh, no, I, I saw it on Tubi. Uh, oh, Tubi. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's terrible. Like first off, the frame there is no real framing. Everyone's like on the far corner of the screen for no reason. Apparently, the director never heard of the rule of thirds. It's it's you know? it's, it's um. You're always it's, supposed it's to shoot incredibly on a bad film. Yes, like you're supposed to shoot something at least on a corner. Everything is just shot flat, and there's just so much rambling about random stuff. It's weird. It's a Christmas film, but there's a witch in it. And it stars like this little fat kid who's just like a greedy, selfish little jerk. And yeah, he was like a little Eric Cartman. And then you get to the scene where the guy was trying to start the lawnmower. 
Yeah, I did. I mean, it went I, on I, for like ten minutes. Yeah, and <laughs> the and the, the 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 inside of the house it has just the worst, ugliest architecture. You're never supposed to film white walls in a movie, and there's nothing but white walls. And the dad, it's real though, dude. Yeah. I love that era of filmmaking because yeah. that was that was a time when people said, "Okay, I see that these kids are going to these kitty matinees. If I could get a yeah. one off." Sell it to the kitty matinees. I'm going to be in. And this is what this guy did. You're right. There is no consistent filmmaking in this whole thing. The whole, it just is so, such a wild sort of almost acid trip of a film yes. uh, because the tree, the tree talks and he sounds like, uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> he just sounds like some guy. He has a very weird voice. The, the the most disturbing thing was like the dad clearly like he's abused. He, you could tell he's slapping around his wife and his kid. He just kind of looks like one of those 1950s dads that just has like horrible domestic abuse charges against him. Did you did you uh, catch the uh, reference to the Wizard of Oz in it? What like the witch in it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it went from black and white to color when he went. From, oh yes, yes, in the yeah. Because they thought so, they were being clever so, uh, filmmaking, which oh my god, I, I don't know. Like that, I mean, you know, I say, go ahead. Oh, I just say it's Christmas Eve and you've had too much eggnog. This is the one to put on. No, you know, it's not. Roku <laughs> out. Go to go to YouTube. Find the magic Christmas tree or Tubi and play it. <laughs> I can tell you, I had a little bit of a drink before I saw it, just a tiny bit, and I'm like. <laughs> All right, I know I didn't have this much, and I want to projectile vomit on the screen watching this. This is horrible. But you know, here's the thing. And again, you know, filmmaking was a lot more difficult in those days. Yes. So here was, I don't know who, who was involved. I, I didn't look it up that deeply. But what amazes me is that it was done, it probably cost 10000 in in $1963. Wow. And, uh, and I don't know. Has it made a profit? It's still on the air. Tubi bought the rights. So. They did it. They got. <laughs> they go. got their dirty it money. Be, it could be in public domain. Yeah, it, public domain. <laughs> it, it might be. It looks like a public domain film. So, what's your uh, uh, number? Oh, go ahead. Number two. I, did you happen to catch this? The Chuck Jones A Christmas Carol from 1972 again on YouTube. Yes, it was, and yeah. it actually won the Oscar. Yeah, uh, I did for, not know that until today when I was looking it up. Crazy. Yeah, for best animated short, which I, I yeah. don't know why it did. Uh, they brought back Alistair you Sim. Think it's beautiful. Yeah, they brought back Alistair Sim. Yeah, from the well, I'll get into why I don't think. Uh, from the original, and Alistair Sim, you could just tell he, from 1951 British. Yes, the 1951, the the definitive version of yes. that movie. Yeah, uh, I just watched it today, in fact, or the end of it today. Yeah, and it's. Sim just sounds like he 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 just kind of came into the studio and he was just tired and he's like all right I'm doing this role again like like he has zero enthusiasm in any of his dialogue throughout this film you know it's god you know this movie you could tell they just rushed the pace because they had to because it was well, it's only a half hour on. yeah and it's animated, like it kept having to go, having to go, having to go. And it was just, it, it was hard 
you let any of the moments sink in and just that old style of animation is just creepy to me it's just kind of scary looking like well, there you go when you see the- I, I just i happen to see think it's like a dream state version of a christmas Carol. yeah it's a nightmare and uh <laughs> i mean see where, see where christmas present flies all over the world you know they go to the guy on the scooter singing god rest ye merry gentlemen then he flies over the london you know it's just it's crazy yeah. because it is in that old style animation you know mm-hmm. it's all ink and uh, cell animation so you're which not gonna is, see otherwise which is <laughs> which is phenomenal the amount of work that went into that you know these guys had to draw yeah. out a piece of paper yeah. for every single frame you know i did that once in high school for a, a, a video that was like 18 seconds i'm like i'm not doing this crap again you know animators i give them all the credit in the world they have yeah, it's all patience yes it is all patience you have to be the most and also, I found out too. I, I call it Chuck Jones at Christmas Carol. He was executive producer. He didn't he didn't have anything to do with the style. It was directed by somebody else uh-huh. I, whose name escapes me. I didn't write it down. Right, but, right. Um, but you can tell it's a Jones. It has the Jones feel to it. You know how mm-hmm. he he's very angular with his characters, mm-hmm. and uh, so yeah, it was a combination. I assume of the director and Chuck Jones. So. It's kind of got those long. I think Chuck Jones, A Christmas Carol, is sort of a misnomer, but uh. yes, it, it kind of gets lost amongst the pile of how many. I want to know how many versions of A Christmas Carol there actually is. It has to. Oh be my god, dude! It's, 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 it's <laughs> close. It has to be closing in on at least five hundred, if not Jesus. more. Oh, because every year, you know, one of the reasons I become an expert in holiday films is every year I do a sit down with a friend of mine. We call Pat and Ken at the holidays. Mm. And basically we charge ourselves with trying to find some of the most obscure Christmas (laughs) stuff available. And just just uh, so everything I've talked about so far, you can find on YouTube, Pat Uber TV. It has all the you just, you know, put the title in and you'll get it. Uh, I gotta um, say, you uh, you do cement the title of film critic with how like even I didn't know what these were. I'm like, what, the, what? Well, what I mean, you know, and I don't know, uh, you know, I don't know what's on the fifty thousand channels anymore. You know, it's all yeah. generational. It's all I've the had more years of time on Earth than you have. So, well. <laughs> You know, but, I'll, you know, I'll be this, yeah. no, You're not a classic film. You're not a studio film guy, are you? You don't. You don't necessarily know the studio film time or or filmographies. You know, like, have I, you seen a Bob Hope film? Yeah, but it's like I'm more into like, like weird, weird art house. Uh, I, you know, I'd have to, I'd have to look them up, and probably one of them struck my head. I can't name them at the top of my head, but right, I know I've right. seen. Well, them. there you go. I mean, yeah. I can name five Bob Hope films, right? Yeah. Now. So it, it, it's just a different set subset of interests, and and uh, and you know, because film criticism is such that there are so many degrees of it, yeah, and so many expertise. 90% of film people, uh, film critics, I find, get involved in it because of horror. Horror is my uh, least favorite genre. Yeah, I'm saying here, I don't so, like horror. I mean, you know, it, 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 it just, it's just, a, my, my thing was the 1030 and 330 movie when I was a kid, and that's how mm. I got into film. Yeah. So it I'm, stands the reason I would know a lot of these BS things. But you did get to 
My number one obscure, which I think everybody should see around the holidays, A Child's Christmas in Wales. Yes. What did you think of that? I, it I'm was very a charming curious. little film. I liked it. It was yes. a nice little film. Yeah. It had nice little tall tales. There's production value in it. The character of the grandfather yeah. is particularly likable. Uh, Great Dan of Elliot. Yes. Uh, and uh, I am at that age now where I view the, the moms in films as attractive. <laughs> like, and I'm, I'm like, man, I used to view this. I don't as know mom. if I would have gotten that out of there, but okay. I used to view her. I used to view ladies like this is mom. Now I'm like, <laughs> what's her digits? You know, <laughs> uh, but no, oh, it's strange. Me, it's funny. strange. I, I, uh, no, no, that's, that's hilarious. I love it. Uh, so this of, is Welsh, Welsh poet, Dylan Thomas. Okay. Yeah. Very, very, uh, uh tortured alcoholic, but. He did write this as a uh, as a BBC special. It was mm -hmm. sort of just like a story uh, for BBC Radio, and uh, basically his memories of uh, being a child in in Wales. And and but the, it's the language in it that that, that strikes me. It it, it has a language. Uh, it's the combination of Old English and I'm sure Welsh, and I'm sure uh you know british uh proper british language but it just goes into flights of fancy that really really hits me yeah i watch it every single year i i just i have huh. to get it into my um radar for uh christmas so and it was something that we discovered god back in 2009 when we did mm. the show so uh and that was the first time we put it on video so it's funny, I wish I would have discovered it a little more down the line, but this, this one is definitely, to me, the best of the hidden Christmas classics. Yes, it's actually, it's actually an enjoyable film. And yeah. you know, some of the I'm things- I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, some of the things the Brits- I'm glad like, you enjoyed the hot mom in it. That's cool. Oh yeah, well, I didn't <laughs> use the term hot mom. Oh, fuck it, yeah, she's hot. She, she, she was hot as fuck. All right, uh, but- uh, That's great. Yes, it's strange. Oh, I don't, I'm not aware of these kind of movies. I'm more like in the class of, I used to be in a pop culture stuff. Now I'm into like strange art house films. I've been kind of like binging. Sure. That's what I'm saying. I, I, fast under films. Yeah. Yeah. The people who try to be an expert on everything usually end up not being an expert on anything. So exactly. Exactly. I, yeah. Done. Yeah. Fast bender though. I didn't even know this guy was like, 37 when he died and he made like 40 films and he looks exactly like someone I know like exactly you know just like how <laughs> I look hilarious. exactly like Ed Sheeran so this is you know <laughs> I wouldn't say exactly I just saw him last night um <laughs> so number one of the five of the of the five I recommend or you saw what three of them yeah we saw, so, I saw, uh, I would recommend, I, I would, I'd be interested to see what you think of Lemon Drop Kid. But you saw Christmas Carol, Child's Christmas and Whale, Magic Christmas Tree. Yeah. Of those three, what, what, which one was your favorite? Oh, Christmas and Wales is the, my favorite okay. one. Yes. That was the most enjoyable one. It, 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 uh, you know, it has a good pace to it. The, the stories are, it's yeah. kind of like, it's kind of like Big Fish, but on a much smaller budget. You that's know, that's a great comparison. I yeah. would I would definitely that that really is an apt comparison to uh, to a child's Christmas in Wales. So yeah, there. So I introduced you to three. 
Yeah. And the, the five that you gave me are, are ones that I'm very familiar with. So we can have a back and forth on that. So give me your number fives. Right. How, I'll do it. Thank you. No, I can't. <laughs> uh, no well, I mean, funny. if it's a give and take. Every everyone, I'm just I'm messing with you. Hosting, uh, I'm yeah. kidding. It's I'm a, I I'm in the world of comedy. We roast each other all the time, uh, but yes, my these five films are yeah, my movies. Supposed to be funny. Yeah, okay. unfortunately, <laughs> I am not. Uh, which is why I film the comics. I don't Stop do it. the comedy with myself. Stop it, Mike. You're hilarious. Uh, no, I'm not. So, um, so these are movies everyone's seen. Number five uh, is, I think we all are aware of it. They made a new version this year. That's the Star Wars holiday special. Do I think this is a good special? No, it's garbage. It's terrible. Yes. I mean, I don't know what we could say about this that hasn't already been said. Uh, The the, the most interesting thing is George Lucas wanted to personally smash every copy with a hammer. uh, Which makes it even better. Yeah. (laughs) This is a guy who created the prequels that a lot of people aren't fond of with a lot of elements in it that people are not fans of uh and even he hated this but if there's one thing we can thank the holiday special for is what's saving star wars right now is the mandalorian and the mandalorian wouldn't exist if it weren't for the star wars holiday special (laughs) if it weren't for the short cartoon in it with boba fett's who... Well, it, 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 it that's sort of a misnomer because they did introduce Boba Fett to because they knew he was going to be in the future uh, sequels. Yes, but this was the introduction, and yeah, I guess he wouldn't exist if it wasn't yeah. for. If you really want to get deep, he was in A New Hope, or actually Star Wars at the time, and but he was in a deleted scene, you know, with with oh, okay. Java that was originally played by like some fat Irish guy. And uh, that, that uh, but you know, that, that was removed and they put him in the holiday special and the, the big gun well, that I believe Boba has with the two prongs on it, that, that was, uh, uh, that was something they gave Mando in the new season. Very good. All right, go ahead. Sorry. The, um, no, no, that's all right. Uh, the, um, I believe that when they, re- if they, if they do release it, I'm sure they will. The Lego Star Wars holiday special. It's out. I it's believe out. they're yeah. they're going to put the original one finally into the canon. They're going to place it onto that uh, special edition disc. <laughs> uh, that's my prediction. I don't know if it'll come true, but also to say that the by ignoring this, you just make it more notorious. Mm-hmm. And and that's what makes it funny. Yes. Because here is this <laughs> this billion dollar fucking religion and and they they can't talk about the Star Wars holiday special around George or for God's sake Harrison Ford bring that up. That's hilarious. Uh, uh Conan brought it up one time. He looked like he he had uh, called his mother a whore. It was the greatest. <laughs> so yeah, I'm glad it's there. I'm glad that uh, Carrie Fisher sings it while she's stoned, and, uh, <laughs> but it's virtually impossible to sit through. It's just terrible. Yes. You could see the exact moment on Harrison Ford's face while Carrie Fisher is singing <laughs> where he's just kind of given up and become cynical. Um, also, a quick, quick note, they did release a Lego holiday special a few weeks ago. 
Uh, my yeah, review with plus. Yeah, I gave it three stars. I honestly want to go oh, back I... and give it two because wow. it's uh, it's very generic. It honestly, if you watch a robot chicken holiday special, it's far funnier. It gets deeper into sort of the inside jokes that people enjoy. I do. I do like robot chicken. Yeah, and um, this I gave it five. <laughs> Wow. Why did you give the new one five? Because it was making fun. It was making fun of the fucking religion. I'm so tired of this thing. Well, and we need we need to make it keep it lighthearted. You know, it's it's a kid. It, it was intended to be a satire of Buck Rogers. It wasn't intended to be a religion. Where little and, children uh, are murdered in one no, of the episodes. The fact that they were making line. fun of it was brilliant to me. That's all. And yeah. also that also it, it culminated into a real nice, you know, warm sense of what what where we need to be at the end of 2020. So call me a sentimental old fool, but and someone who is not a Star Wars buff. Yeah. So it, except for the, in a movie sense. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, I I really loved it. No, well, I I can certainly understand and appreciate that. Yeah, you know, as a Star Wars buff, I like the uh, robot chicken stuff because it's maybe it, it, it's lighthearted. It makes fun of the religion, but it also gets like really deep into sort of the the nerdy jokes. Like there was one joke I loved well, so in the, is- the in the in the Disney version, which is when. Obi-Wan's talking to Qui-Gon and he's like, trade disputes? This is boring. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, um, the whole thing, whole thing was charming to me. Yeah. Uh, number four. Oh. Number four. Yes. And I really want to talk about this one. Is yeah. And now when we talk about unconventional holiday films, why? what I mean by that is it could, if something takes place around Christmas, that doesn't necessarily make it a Christmas film. Okay. Yeah, but of so Christmas, it out. yes, as but if Christmas is centered around it and it's sort of the the driving theme of something, it is an unconventional Christmas film. And in lieu of Tom Cruise's meltdown, and, and as a matter of fact, I don't think it's a meltdown, I think what Tom Cruise, I think more people should do what Tom Cruise did. And look, he's a Scientologist, he believes in all this, you know, crazy stuff. But, I mean, if you're yelling at people to follow basic COVID restrictions, uh, more people should do that. And I totally 100% well, agree with them on that. Uh, it depends and, on the circumstance. If you're Tom Cruise and you're, you're the centerpiece of the movie, you can yell at whoever you want. Yes, uh, and I agree with that. I, like, I say, his power to uh, sure. take advantage of good. doing something that nobody else could do. But I will say that... He was thinking of it, unlike Christian Bale's rant, where he's like, you're ruining <laughs> my fun. scene and and you're walking in my shot. Uh, Tom Cruise is saying people are trying to put food on the table for their family. They're losing their houses and people are dying because you're taking your masks off. And I'm going to guess he politely told people this like a million times. Like, hey, man, could you just please put the mask on, please? Yeah. And then I think after a while, you have to yell at adults like they're children. So then they listen to basic well, rules. Some adults like to carry firearms. So I'll stay out of the direct yeah. confrontation. Yes. Uh, uh, but, I'll give them a nice glare. 
That's about all I can do. <laughs> okay. But okay. I, having gotten that out of the way and I actually tweeted Tom Cruise and told him not to apologize. That was the news of the day. Yeah. Um, I, I can't not adjust Ralph. And, and really, I didn't choose this movie because this thing happened. It, it literally like was one of the movies I chose that I didn't think was was Eyes Wide Shut because this movie is yes. a Christmas film because this is about a family that is falling apart during the holidays. Uh, it is well, about a it's about a, you know, out, outside the holiday, though. Well, but it takes place right before When's Christmas. the orgy. When 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 does the orgy take place? Does it take place during the season? Yeah, it all takes place during Christmas. The I whole haven't thing. I haven't seen it. Yeah, I've seen the film in thirty years. So I watched. But it I know. I know. It, I know. I know about the Christmas part because of that beautiful lighting that he did with oh. that scene with Nicole Kidman and the guy she might have an affair with. Yeah. And to put it in context, you know, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman were sort of like the ideal couple, right? Like they were the Hollywood mega beautiful uh, couple. And of course, it didn't work out. I think they divorced maybe a few years after this movie. Soon thereafter. Yeah. Soon thereafter. Yeah. And. there are certain films that Tom Cruise are in where he reveals who he actually is, and that was one of them. Okay, so, <laughs> I'm not I will, kidding. I will say, kidding. I will say about them, and, and they had to spend a lot of time on that film. Very, you know, here they are both. I mean, Nicole Kidman was ascending, Cruise was on top, and they both spent what three years doing this film, or, or close to. Well, they had yeah. to keep going back and forth, but. Um, if you if you see them in interviews, it always is their favorite film they've ever film experience. Because who who has gotten to be with the great Kubrick? Not many, mm-hmm. and there are two that that did it. And this was Cruz at the top of his career doing a Stanley Kubrick film. Who would yeah. thunk it? Yeah, and I'm going to say something controversial here. I think Stanley Kubrick is the greatest filmmaker who ever lived. It's not Orson Welles. Okay. Orson Welles did make one of the greatest movies of all time, if arguably. The I don't think that's movie. too controversial. <laughs> well, Orson Welles. I mean, if you put if you put the individual filmmakers up there, a lot of people say Stanley's their favorite. Yeah, because Orson Welles he caught lightning in a bottle with Kane, and he never quite caught it again. You know, he's made some pretty good movies after that. I do want to see. There's one called The Trial that I got a disc of that I want to watch. It's great. Yes, that's what I'm telling. The, the funniest thing about Wells, it's encapsulated almost in one statement where he said that I started at the top and worked my way down. Yes. But somebody said something interesting in an article uh, that, that said, hey, Wells never went away. He was a celebrity his entire life. Mm-hmm. It's not like he, he the, those the failure of Kane or the failure of Magnificent Ambersons or whatever, yeah. uh, you know, put him on the, the wood pile. He, yeah. he, he was consistently there as someone who was in the ether. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think there was an article I read about Kane being number one. And, and, and it, 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 there is a, some group think when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Basically, Kane was the Star Wars of its era. Uh, Wells, a 23-year-old guy, comes in there and says, I'm going to use every weird film technique I can think of. Mm-hmm. And Greg Tolan said, I'm there, and I know how to do it. Yeah. So it, 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 
it becomes it becomes canon because of the French and, and then these you know highfalutin uh, groupthink critics over the years. But uh, it's still up in the top five, so everything well, is cool. And as someone Kubrick engines up every year, as someone who make made movies, makes movies. I mean, I don't consider myself an official filmmaker until you know I get paid. Yeah, you I, know. Uh, so if I'm sitting in a theater watching one of your films, that's yeah, cool. exactly. We'll uh, you know, if there is theaters, everybody, everybody's a filmmaker who picks up a camera. Exactly, uh, exactly. And that's, yeah. that's 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 the era we're in. Yeah. So uh, just like Francis Ford Coppola predicted in Hearts of Darkness. Uh, yeah, interesting, didn't it? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, but, a long time since I saw that one. Too. Yeah, I will say as someone who has picked up a camera and cut the movie, right. did more than just use his iPhone, uh, you know, actually had full crews and everything. Uh, every single technique that was used in Kane has been used in every movie ever since. You know, and sure. I think it was Orson Welles just kind of getting lucky in some ways and in other ways knowing exactly what he wanted and what to do uh i've seen some of his other stuff Epis for fake is it's okay uh touch of evil i have to watch i have to rewatch uh, amberson's i i, I want to see his cut and i guess there is no it doesn't exist yeah, exactly that's, <laughs> unless that's you can find of... it down in rio which they think it's going to be there yeah he did send for all the, the film stock to be brought down there mm -hmm. but um, um but going back to yeah. Eyes Wide Shut, again, Kubrick always <laughs> challenged and, and reconstructed. Like his movies, people didn't like initially. And then later they're like, oh my God, this is a magnificent masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. I don't think Eyes Wide Shut was, you could kind of see his quality degrading a bit towards the end with uh, Full Metal Jacket and Eyes Wide Shut. And Eyes Wide yeah. Shut, I'd give, I mean, I, that would be like a three out of four for me, that movie. There's I, I would have to say that yeah. it may be my least favorite Kubrick, but I yeah. have to relook at it. I haven't seen it in 30 years. Well, as someone who, who just watched it, it's so on the nose, over the top about temptation. Like anyone who has a vagina wants to have sex with Tom Cruise. He could be talking to the freaking coat lady and she'll be rubbing her boobies up against him. Like, ooh, what do you want to like, I don't know, man. Oh, he, God, he, a lot, lot of people think he's gay too. So. That, yeah, I that's you know I made a joke earlier about that, but I, I don't know. That's a bunch of who knows. I don't get involved in all that. Who stuff. knows? You know, whenever uh, Tom wants to swing, let him swing because yeah. maybe that guy is he's been on top for so long he doesn't know what the bottom is. Now I gotta that's I gotta ask. Do you think that movie was just kind of like Stanley Kubrick just wanted to be perverted, or did he really have something to say there? Oh, he definitely had something to say, yeah. but definitely in the, in the, in the mind of Kubrick, yeah. there is always something, there's always subtext. And uh, basically I think that film is studied for its subtext. Yeah. And uh, it, you know, again, the interesting notion of using two really big movie stars yeah. in a Stanley Kubrick film, uh, even Nicholson, what he did, the shining wasn't really at the top at that time. He was kind of ascending, but mm -hmm. he wasn't wasn't the you know wasn't the Nicholson that uh, he was mostly doing art films in the seventies and just Kubrick was a natural progression for him. So yeah. so to me, it's the subtext of the film that needs to be studied yeah. as as the years go on. And uh, now you've intrigued me. Maybe I'm going to watch a Christmas Eve. 
<laughs> yes. Well, it it I think it come on, honey. Let's watch it. eyes wide shut. Yeah, I would get some masks and some robes and cloaks. Exactly. Yeah. I've got plenty of masks. So <laughs> <I guess. laughs> yeah. That movie was ahead of its time. It knew to wear a mask. It was. Not exactly socially so distanced though. Let me, uh, let's go. I, I'm, I'm yeah, yeah, I'm intrigued by your next. So go ahead. Yes. Uh so number three, um, when we talk about the lack of family or feeling isolated during the holidays as eyes wide shut did i think about batman returns because that's a movie where as we know batman his his parents are dead (laughs) and that sort of relates to the penguin who you know he has sort of like the story of moses where he's put in a wicker basket and thrown into the river and right you know but then you know moses doesn't grow up to be this weird garish version of you know basically danny devito just playing an exaggerated version of himself it's funny you have two burton films on this list i do yes probably two of my least favorites but yeah but i will say again like die hard in which you know is is, Mm -hmm. well maybe that's in the ether right now Batman Returns is one of those films that, yes, I think we should put it in the Christmas canon as something, as you say, unconventional, but also uh, in consideration of uh, how things are released and how, how, how the excitement builds. And the fact that they did set it exactly around Christmas time, I think, makes it part of that, uh, you know, definitely part of that uh, consideration. Well, it's about how Penguin doesn't, have, uh, you know, he doesn't have a family. Yeah, it's been and thirty years since I've seen it. <laughs> yes. Well, we think about it. Think about it. Penguin doesn't have a family. Batman doesn't have a family. Uh, yeah. Catwoman is just this woman, this person who's all alone, is is mistreated, and a very woke film for its time. Really, a movie that recognizes uh, a woman's individuality and how they can be strong. And I mean, she was probably had the strongest willpower of everyone in that film, aside from being. Uh, I, I have to say, too, crazy. that uh, I, I, I don't know what somebody did to Tim Burton around the holidays, but he uh, definitely has some uh, issues has some in dealing with injuries. it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, and it's it's just such a bizarre. I remember McDonald's. They I have their toys from uh, Batman Returns ah. because I love the history behind it, because when this film came out, you know, everyone was expecting it to be like the first film where, you know, the studios were holding Burton back a bit and. He made something a little safer, but still a little Burton-esque, but a little studio-ish. And here, he completely went off the rails and (laughs) made his film. And it's a movie that I kind of enjoy, but it's incredibly difficult to watch at times because it's so over the top and bombastic. And apparently Gotham City is only square city blocks and... I, I love, but I do have to say, I think the last maybe 10 minutes of the film are fantastic. When, you know, Penguin has sort of his like tragic death, and, you know, the, the, all the little fake penguins are dragging his body along, although you, the, you can clearly tell he's just being pulled by a string. Uh, insert Bella Lugosi, for the strings. Um, I, I want to know who. Ends, go ahead. Oh, and it ends with, you know, Bruce Wayne holding a cat, you know, exclaiming Merry Christmas as he drives alone into the night. 
very much like Batman, very much like the tortured soul Bruce Wayne is, and very much reminiscent of people who feel alone during Christmas. Christmas. I think that that definitely came through, and uh, and it's one of the reasons that it is considered a Christmas movie with a different spin, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your to, question that you had? I oh, I, I wanted to know: was it Burton and DeVito that got together to to create that interpretation of the Penguin? Mm-hmm. I know what he was doing. I know he was trying to make him more gross and more yeah, you know. Nothing like the comics. Yeah. Or whatever you want to do. You need to, the penguin is an absurd character. It's an absurd <laughs> criminal. I mean, it, yeah. you know, it never, it's a comic book characterization yeah. to try to create a angsty little, you know, fish eater out of it is, you know, is, is counterproductive to, you know, he, he spent so much time on that. There was nothing left for the film. Yes. Oh, that's what was that's what was irritating about Batman Returns. Well, and and again, go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. You're on. You're on the same track of thought. Oh, I just just finishing my point. It was so highly anticipated, like the first one, and of course, every a sequel to that brilliant first one. You're like, I'm there. I'm there first night. Yeah. And yet, it it really you're that you know everybody walked out of that thing going. What the hell? Yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> Not everybody. But I when guess. I was a kid, I didn't realize how dark it was. You know, my mom yeah, kind of left so the theater dark. like, what? You know, and yeah, yeah I mean, McDonald's, they were calling uh, Tim Burton up and they're like, what's this black stuff coming out of the penguin's <laughs> mouth? And yeah, I mean, that movie has various sexual innuendo jokes. Like, I like to fill <laughs> her void. They have like a guy's nose getting bitten off. They try to murder infants in it. Uh, there was like an attempted rape in the film. Like, my God. And then, of course, the studio dark. went to Joel Schumacher and he turned it into like a gay nightclub video with the s- sequels. But it was <laughs> kid friendly. And, you know, uh, it, it, the Batman Forever did well. I, I hate Batman Forever. And uh, Batman Returns is, that, is so bad, I kind of enjoy it, you know. But it's it's so uh, funny that they ran that they ran that money making machine into the ground. Yeah, they they, uh, they they kind of buried it with dust. I I, I I'm always fascinated by that. Although uh, those last two movies are fun enough for me that I can just say shrug my shoulders, say move on, and it. The, the the Dark Knight series would not exist if it were not for the first Batman series. Exactly. So we'll leave it at that. We learn from our mistakes. Uh, so then we move on so, to another Tim Burton movie, which is The Nightmare Before Christmas. I think I might have included these films because much like how you grew up with the uh, sort of the matinees where you go in a little theater and they make the cheap right. kids films and they put them on TV. Right. You know, I, I right. grew up with Tim Burton. When I was getting, you know, 1989 Batman, when that came out, I was like maybe four years old, sure. you know, uh, and I, I remember the Nightmare Before Christmas was this huge hit. It, it was, I, I remember seeing the ads to it. Was and, it a hit? Oh, yeah. I mean, was we, it a hit? they still sell merchandising to it today. Well, I know. I, it could be like uh, the Ramones. The, the merchandise is, makes more money than the band. Right. Or the, or the music. Right, right. Um, financially, um, I don't have the numbers, but from what I no, recall, I, 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 I just yeah, go ahead. Uh, from what I recall, when I was a kid, 
the theater was packed to see that movie and people were seeing it a lot. I remember seeing the ads to it and this was like the strangest thing I've, I'm like, what is this? This is just the most unique, incredible thing to stop motion animation. And it's a mixture of Halloween and Christmas. It's like the only movie you could see during Halloween, uh, Easter, I'm sorry, not Easter, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas all at the same time. You know, and it combines all those elements so well. And first off, we have to, I want to note, I, I don't know if this was Tim Burton's decision or not, but really Tim Burton came up with the concept, but Henry Selleck directed the film. Uh, Tim Burton just came up with the outline. The, yeah, he did, uh, he did the animation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, he, he did the stop motion stuff. Mm-hmm, yeah. Now, this was pure stop motion, correct? This was, yeah. there was the, no computers that could do something like that in those days Mm-mm, this isn't a lego the, movie trying to find them yeah. yeah it did it did some pretty good it, the budget yeah. on, on an 18 million dollar budget it grossed 91 million internationally so wow. i'd call that a success yes uh <laughs> it's something we, i mean i i the the music i i have to admit i'm one of those people who can't stand musicals you know like unless there's a real reason why people are it's so fourth wall breaking so you didn't see the prom <laughs> not what uh but you didn't see the prom i don't know Netflix. that i don't know no i didn't see the prom no uh <laughs> i did like la la land uh because it kind yeah. of addressed why they were breaking the fourth wall in a certain way uh but Somewhat. you know I mean, it's, it was always weird when I watch like the sound of music. It's like the Nazis are chasing us. La, 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 la. Like, what? Uh, I have a friend who has a rule of musicals. Yeah. The laziest songs you'll see in the musical is what's describing the action. I'm walking down the street. I'm looking this way, you know. Anything by Tom <laughs> Hooper. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, this, this movie. This, go ahead. No, 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 no. You, you, you went first, sir. Go, please. No, please. I keep, I keep interrupting you. <laughs> we're, we're interrupting each other throughout this whole All thing. Right. It's fine. <laughs> um, so, my brother and I saw this. I believe the first weekend it came out. So this is 1993. Mm. Did it come out during the holiday era period? I oh, again, I just had it up. I could have looked it up, but I, I, anyway, I the remember. point is, <laughs> we went and saw it, and my brother, uh, God rest him. Yeah. It, was absolutely apoplectic about this film. He would talk about it for years as one of his worst film experiences ever. Wow. <laughs> he okay. just simply did not like it. I and when uh you know we you know he was not a fan of course of the uh of the Batman returns either as mm-hmm. a lot of people were not. Yeah. And so he just was like not a Burton fan after <laughs> understandable but, but i was just like i don't i just don't get who the audience is for this i know who the audience is for this tim burton that's it <laughs> yes and you know you, he tapped into the right era and he's a very limited filmmaker he had you know he hasn't come up with i think post ed wood he really hasn't done anything that noteworthy you know maybe big fish to a certain extent yeah, I, I, Big Fish is so unusual that yeah. I would have to say you'd have to put that in, in into consideration for his canon. Did he do, um, speaking of musicals, the adaptation of Sweeney Todd? Yes. Is that him? 
Yeah. Okay. That one was good. I, I mean, like that's that. A, that's yeah. very straightforward, though. It doesn't seem mm-hmm. like a burden picture. So anyway, yeah, it, you know, we if you want to have the uh, podcast about the Burton Canon, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, I'll well, pass. I'd say he. he, he, he <laughs> no. uh, that's okay. I understand. Uh, he. There's some no. There's stuff. There's some stuff he does. It's brilliant. I love Big Fish, by the way. Mm. So. I think I cried when I saw it when I was younger, but I don't know how I'd receive it's, it's it today. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's so it's so over the top wild. Yeah, it's I like think, living imagination. Yeah, it, it's uh, well, that's kind of the 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 thing with Tim Burton is I think he just tapped into the right era. You know, this is the '90s. This was during the grunge sort of you know anti-establishment era, and his movies were made for children. Yeah. But at the same time, they were very edgy. They were kind of dark, yeah. uh, but they weren't too edgy. You know, today they seem very quaint. And I, I think, think he's really he's also influential. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think as a filmmaker, he he also inspires other generations of filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, he's just he he he's a cultural influencer for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he he almost did Superman. That's a story in and of itself uh with nicholas cage um but i think every director in hollywood was uh concerned for superman (laughs) but uh yes uh but yeah tim burton i mean he's that kind of guy where he only has like his movies are all the same where you know it takes place in a strange world you have a character who's an outsider doesn't fit in with everyone you know kind of like his high school phase where you know he was the weird kid and eventually like that person either fits in or they don't fit in at the end they find a love interest who uh, uh connects with that uh, with that individual and by the end that person sort of uh is accepted for who they are so that's every tim burton film in a nutshell I, and you know it's the nightmare before christmas so he assured that it would yeah. be considered every year for the mm-hmm. holiday so pretty smart on his part mm-hmm. and uh yeah the i mean it was a successful film the marketing of the stuff afterward very successful yeah. it is it is uh comforted uh, goth children since <laughs> yes everyone who goes to hot topic is going to buy some nightmare before christmas stuff i remember one year there i wanted go. to get the yeah. home alone to walkman if you remember that they, they he had the little walkman in the book. yeah couldn't find right. it. it. It was selling out everywhere. Uh, well, so I got Jack Skellington. What was the name of it in the film? Oh, God. You know, I had to look it film? up. It, it had, yeah. I'm going to keep talking it, while I look it up. But uh, I remember, uh, but I couldn't get the Walkman at the time. Uh, so we made a compromise with my mother to get the uh jack skellington doll and i think at that point i knew santa didn't exist sorry kids uh but she <laughs> yeah you uh, have a large kid following for this podcast yes. so i just say stop saying uh on this podcast but we made the i found out santa didn't exist she got me jack skellington where you could remove his head and put it back on and he came with little zero I don't think The Nightmare Before Christmas necessarily is a wonderful film, but I think in terms of style, in terms of music, it's 
it's inescapable and, and, and it's incredibly short. You know, it's, it's almost below an hour 20 that barely qualifies as a feature in many ways. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, even, even at that length, it's long. <laughs> well, uh, okay, I understand. It's not, you know, talk I grew boy. up with it. If I did it, yes, I was going to say it's a talk boy. Uh, that was from Home Alone 2 that he used a lot. And yes. boy, people wanted that talk boy. I mean, now anybody, you have oh, a yeah. cell phone, you have a talk boy. But at the time, from Tiger Electronics, the talk boy was just everyone was clamoring to get it. Although it was I, I just, wish I, it would be cool to have one just as a piece of movie memorabilia. I also have a Home Alone doll that I've done some things to my brother-in-law. You know, we, we treated it much like Sid treats his toys in Toy Story. Uh, I think but, you should uh, talk to your therapist about that, not me. No, it was just <laughs> stuff boys do with toys, you know, you know, just yes. throwing around stuff like that. <laughs> Nothing beyond well, that. Well, you know... I, are you familiar with Hot Wheels at all? Oh, yeah, of course. So my, my nephew wheels, loves they, Hot Wheels. Yeah. When they came out in the 60s, they used to have these tracks. And mm -hmm. they would be these orange tracks. And you would mm -hmm. put them together with a plastic, like, grommet. They're still there. They fit together. They're still okay. there. Yeah. So, all right. So, these tracks were incredible. You could whip people like a torturer <laughs> with these tracks. Yes, you could. I mean, I'm sure my... I'm sure some authority figure used them on their kids. My parents didn't do that, but, but we would, we, my brothers and I would kill each other with these things. <laughs> I, I imagine the dad from magic Christmas tree used that a lot. <laughs> I told you to clean up your dinner. That's, that's, that's an interesting take on him. <laughs> I just thought it was the, uh, it was the strangest part of that movie is the freaking lawnmower scene. It goes on for about 10 minutes and it's oh. one joke. You can't start the damn thing. Yeah, that's yeah. why I ended up just going to the bathroom during it, not fully paying attention to the film, to be honest. I was like, all right, I get it. Have the tree uh, talk like this. <laughs> Hello. But but for my but yes, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. We, we all know. Everybody knows it. Great movie. What's this? This this is everywhere. What's this? Da -da -na 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 -na. Yeah. yeah. All right, let's get it. Let, but, but we all know what number one's going to be. And it's going to be Die Hard because everybody loves Die Hard. You know, it's everyone's favorite action film. I don't know why they made Actually, I, I really do like the third movie quite a bit. I, I like two as well. And no. Two's <laughs> over the top, but I like it's over the topness. <laughs> it's just the same exact movie with three, a very forgettable three. villain. If I have to rank them, I go one, two. What's the one after three? It's the one with Jason. Live Long. free or die PG thirteen. Uh, the the one the one with Jason Long is that the fourth one? I didn't see the fourth one. I I walked. I oh. snuck into a theater, watched parts of it, and then I said one, okay. two, four, three, five. Okay, that's okay. My, my ranking. Yeah, I'd say one, three, <laughs> uh, two. I didn't see five, so who knows? You know, four is the you last see one. Four just be or five. <laughs> I did see four, and four I was, is actually quite good. It's PG thirteen, so yeah. fuck it. <laughs> it goes the, against everything that Die Hard is. Timothy Timothy Oliphant in four is really good villain, a really good villain. Eh, he was too smug. 
you know, all right, Mr. Guy snuck into the theater, watch five minutes of it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's all it deserved too. <laughs> uh, but okay. So die hard. Let's, let's, let's get into this. I guess die. Yeah. I guess die hard is a Christmas <laughs> movie because they take, they take over Nakatomi Plaza during Christmas. They, they literally yeah. play, uh, uh, what's the name of the the Beethoven song that they have during it? Oh, you know? the joy that I was whistling. Yeah. That I was whistling mm-hmm. as we went into this segment. Exactly. Oh, the joy. Yes. Uh, the, the um. Go ahead. No, that's all right. That this is the theme of this podcast. Everyone interrupting each other. <laughs> uh, it. I I I mean, it's a movie that that paces his action well. We, we the characters are memorable. We remember Hans for sort of all the the evil sort of stuff that he does. And you know, this was when Bruce Willis was considered the heartthrob, and everyone was laughing when they uh, you know saw him in the previous of the film. And of course, he showed everyone when the movie actually came out, and it sort of set the precipice for a lot of action movies going forward if i were to see you know i didn't like the new ghostbusters but if you want to make something with females it's like yeah take that guys you should do that with die hard not ghostbusters um <laughs> the um the one thing i'll say about it is that it, it's a classic it's an american classic yeah it's just um it 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 never gets old for me at least and uh it 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 always it, it's a film that follows through on many levels. And one of the things that people don't realize, it's actually a satire of authoritarianism because the criminals are authority, the, the FBI or the law enforcement's authority, and, and McCain is simply a, uh, a cog in the wheel, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and it's just, you know, if you want to take it on a, a socio-political level, you can do that. It, that's you- the brilliance of the film. You certainly have. I had never even thought of that remotely. It just seemed like the cops were good guys <laughs> and the terrorists were bad guys. And it was pretty cut and dry there. I mean, certainly, maybe it is because John McTierian got in trouble with being involved with a mob or something like that. And he wound up in prison. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. So I think he shared oh, he ran that. Up in prison. I got to look him up. You didn't know that? Yeah, he wound <laughs> up in prison because he made some deals with the mob. They had this, they had the movies that made us come out on Netflix and John McTiernan just kind of sounds like a scummy prison guy when you listen to him. Although he, he's a phenomenal director. He, he did Die Hard, uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, uh, you know, after the, I mean, I had to disagree. I absolutely loathe Die Hard too. Uh, I just thought it was a copy and paste of the first film with an incredibly forgettable villain with a very well, good actor the playing the Die Hard in a uh, in a, an airport. They followed through on the pitch. Yeah, they certainly did, and boy was it lazy. At least the third one was creative. They did this whole cat and mouse game. The chemistry between uh, Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson is fantastic, and of course in this movie, the the chemistry between Bruce Willis and the cop whose name I'm blanking on uh was actually kind of emotional you know dennis he's cr- yes dennis franz i don't know why he never came back for any of the sequels which is yeah you would think as a character he would but something happened to franz in the i don't know what when year that was made the mm-hmm. early 90s but something something happened to franz 
Or he kind of just dropped off the sick or something. I don't even know if he's still alive. Oh, he's alive. He was in the interviews uh, for the movie. Uh, with the movies that made us, he was talking but, about the making. But yeah, it, 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 it's fascinating to me that he just kind of... Because he had a distinct, perfect character yeah. that he could have played and played and played. But something happened where he just didn't didn't do any more movies or TV. But so I, I don't... I don't think we're talking about Dennis Franz, though. Dennis Franz is a Chicago guy with a mustache. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I'm talking about. He was the cop in uh, in Die Hard 2. Oh, I was referencing uh, Reginald Vell Johnson, Sergeant oh, oh, Al Paul. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, who played, who was also in, um, wasn't he also in uh, uh, Family Matters? Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. Uh, the chemistry between them were great. Like, no other cop would listen to John McClane, but Al, right? And all the higher-ups, when you want to talk about your sociopolitical angle, they didn't care about anyone, uh, you know, the actual person who was in danger because they wanted to grandstand and show that they were in charge, you know, with this whole macho posing bullshit thing that we see in American politics today. But it was really the person who was understanding and sympathetic that, got the wheels moving, that was able to save lives, who was able to help John McClane out. And this was a movie, if you watch sort of like how it was made and stuff like that, much like Citizen Kane, I can't believe I'm drawing this comparison, but it's kind of a movie that that was made wonderfully on accident. You know, the... the, Yeah, uh, it is a happy accident. Yes, exactly. Uh, The uh, Nakatomi Plaza, I believe it was one of the Fox Studios uh, buildings that they used. Um, A lot of the elements of the movie just sort of clicked into place. And, you know, you really have to appreciate kind of how diverse each cast member is. You know, you had the guy who is uh, Bruce Willis's wife, Holly, played by Bonnie Bedalia. Uh, am I saying that right? Or Bedelia? Uh, Bedelia. Yeah, Bedelia. I'm sorry. Tomato, tomato. Uh, she, she's sort of like the every woman, the, the kind of wife who's fried up with her husband. Bruce Willis is the typical macho man who, uh, you know, is wrong place, wrong time, you know, but he has a heart of gold. Who is the guy who played like the douchebag coke addict in the film? Well, I was going to bring him up. Hart yeah. Bachner is his name. He's a, uh, he, he, he was familiar to me before I saw Die Hard uh-huh. because I'm a big fan of Breaking Away. And he plays the D-bag frat boy, Breaking <laughs> Away. Okay. So he's so, got a thing. It's, it's, not, it's not just that character. <laughs> well, again, it's just levels of people who are trying to, uh, excuse me, emergency vehicle. The Nakatomi is getting blown up right level, now. Level of personalities who are, who are approaching a problem, and the the and and the person who can solve the problem is the one that's the outlier, mm-hmm. uh, not the people in charge. As exactly. as you well see, they're either dead or useless. So, <laughs> I mean that again, it, it it works on so many levels, and it, as a piece of entertainment, it's just joyous. Yeah, and and. and you know the the theme of Christmas is is um, is followed through on as far as peace on earth and everything like that at the end. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
I'll tell you what the second one had that the first one didn't was just incredible violence. It was so much more violent. Although yes, the first yeah. one was pretty violent too. I yeah. so I'm so inured to it now that I don't even think of Die Hard as a violent movie, but it certainly is. Oh yeah. That's why I was so disappointed with the fourth one. Like of all things, why would you water down Die Hard? That that goes against everything that Die Hard is. Die Hard is meant to have you know, foul language and blood. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh no, he can't even say yippee Kaye motherfucker anymore. Like what? Well, I mean, he's also, again, it, the, the fourth one is a man out of time picture. Yeah. I mean, they, they tried to artsy it up, uh, putting McCain into a, a world that, that is, is gone way past him. You know? Yeah. And, and we see the contrast from the first one to this one. And, uh, I don't know. I it, it, thematically it worked for me. It's not my favorite, but uh, it's not not the worst either. Yeah. Which is I, five for sure. <laughs> five I, has anyone even seen five? I saw five. Okay, it was a piece of crap. Yeah, I mean, what do you expect? They hired the guy who did the remake of The Omen and who directed Max Payne. What did they think was going to happen? <laughs> I don't know how the picture got made. I mean, yeah. I don't know how it was green-lighted. I don't know how he, how Willis got involved again. That's, yeah. it's, it's almost a, 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 it'd be a study for uh, some film class or something. I don't yes. know. Yes, how movies shouldn't be made at the last minute. Well. But uh, Die Hard, yeah, it's a movie where you know, the family gets together and they get to have Christmas. Yay. I, I mean, there are people who insist that this is their only Christmas movie. I'm like, cool. That's, that's a it. little much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. I, I, I think I think that's part of its its cachet, you know, that people have been arguing whether it's a Christmas movie or not. And there are people who insist this is the only thing I'll watch on Christmas Eve. And they'll they'll be kind of haughty about it, quite frankly. But uh, you know, to me it's like, you know, whatever floats your boat. Uh, yeah. But there are better Christmas movies, <laughs> like Eyes Wide Shut. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, that's but a good way to end this. The the, the uh, yeah. Well, the reason I I chose these movies is because 2020 is just such a weird year. Just seeing like a standard Christmas film where the family's getting together and hugging each other. It's like, well, we can't do that this year, and everything just feels fucked up. And frankly, in 2020. So well, why not enjoy Christmas with some fucked up Christmas movies? And that's the way <laughs> to really celebrate it. Celebrate it at home. Uh, All right, then. And then, you know, happy holidays. Uh, for the love of God, people, follow the guidelines because there is light, like, like Die Hard, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And now with this vaccine... If we if we adhere to social distancing, if we wear our masks, you know, I won't have to go Tom Cruise on your asses. And we can actually is this, is this what this podcast is for to rant to people about wearing masks? Yes. So because this is a weird Christmas year and this is the year where I'm going to say, put on your masks. I'm making this a political statement <laughs> to go full tom cruise on everyone there but we, we can be have christmas with our families again and we can talk about regular christmas films wouldn't well, that I be mean, nice you know you're it's it's a uh 
it, it, it was a step-by-step -step problematic circumstance that was not helped by lack of leadership. So mm -hmm. we don't have to worry about him anymore. But the point is, this could, could have been nipped in the bud if somebody uh, who cared was uh, in front of the problem. So yeah, that's the only political thing I'll say about it. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, it's a virus. You can't, you know, we're, we're, we're biological mm -hmm. creatures. And if a virus gets into the system, just like any other virus, it can destroy. And it, this has proved to be lethal for us. So yeah. uh, hopefully this vaccine will take hold, but who knows? It's, it's uh, you know, the, the way that it came about, it's a biologic too, which is something that has never been done in the vaccine before. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we're, we're, we all have to remain cautious. And that includes, sir, wearing your mask. Exactly. Exactly. Wearing the mask and distancing. And I ended on that weird note because it's a weird year. And I'm not going to try good. to sugarcoat it. All right. Thank you, sir. Happy yeah. holidays to you. And uh, thank you for, again, having me on for your Christmas show. I appreciate it. Of course. And uh, keep, 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 uh, keep uh, obsessing. Yes. Because that's, that's uh, what we do. Yeah. Well, <laughs> remember, check out Pat McDonald at Hollywood, Chicago. And maybe I'm also, also weekly on uh, WSSR Joliet, Illinois, ah. and WBGR in uh, Monroe, Wisconsin. And what station numbers are they? Well, I mean, I would, I would, uh, in, in these cases, since they're outside kind of the purview, mm -hmm. uh, Star 96.7 for, uh, for Joliet, possibly, ah. that, but you can't get Monroe. So go to tunein.com and put in WBGR. Yes. And you'll find me 7.35 in the morning on Thursday morning each and every week. Absolutely. It's a well, lot of fun. Thank you so much again, Pat. Have a Merry yep. Christmas. You and too. Merry Happy Christmas, New sir. Year. We're, yep. We're in near jail. the end of this. Yeah. That's what I want to say to Trump, which won't happen. <laughs> ah. But it's okay. Everyone else will go to jail and we'll never have to see him again. Uh, and you know what? The greatest, we did get two wonderful Christmas gifts this year. Donald Trump lost and there's a vaccine coming. So Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, Happy Hanukkah. It, it, it Happy really Kwanzaa. Did. All of that. Yeah. It, did, it did end on a good note. Yes, exactly. Thanks again. How many right, folks. are there to this show? I, I've gotten up five times. There's so many endings. <laughs> here All comes right. the ambulance again. Perfect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It ends with an ambulance goodbye you'll probably agree go to ypareviews.com <laughs> goodbye don't kill your grandma with coronavirus i'm starting to get a bad feeling up here merry christmas die hard 